Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. It's been more than a year since the United States Supreme Court wiped out half a century of federally protected abortion rights. Since then, the speed and breadth of far-right attacks on reproductive justice has been breathtaking. So has the resistance on the ground. Naab Wee, coordinator of the Mobilisation for Reproductive Justice in New York City, joins me today to speak about the war on women, trans folks and queers, people of colour, Indigenous, disabled, working class and poor people. But before Naab Wee, Earlier this year, on Friday the 22nd of September, a group of refugee women marched from Melbourne to Canberra to fight for visa equality and raise awareness about the plight of around 12,000 refugees left in limbo by the Australian government's failure to issue permanent protection visas. Hear from Gita Ramachandra, Razila Raid Rahmati and Lavanya Thavaraja who are speaking here with Inez Winters. I am a founder of the 23rd Second Refugee Women Workers Center from Melbourne to Canberra. We left Melbourne on Friday 22nd. Today is day 14. There's 640 kilometer track to Canberra. We are working on behalf of 10,000 plus refugees asylum seekers who were left out of a February announcement giving 19,000 refugees the ability to apply for permanency. Uh, hi, my name is Kazala Kaatrahmati. I am an Iranian woman. I came here when I was 14. Now I'm 26. I was a dental assistant for three years. Then I saved some money for university. I started Bachelor of Health Science in Latrobe Uni, after studying for one year and a half, I was going to transfer my course. Suddenly, I received a letter from university saying that because of my visa rejection, they, they're not going to accept me. Uh, I was developing depression. Looking at my family and witnessing my husband getting depression, I decided to do something for everyone, everyone here. And we start this work. We're demanding abolish the fast track system and IAA, a study and work right for all refugee, permanent protection visa for all refugee left behind, permanent settlement in Australia for refugee from Nauru and Papua Guinea. Um, I'm uh, uh, Lavnia. I'm a unionist. Um, I'm part of um, this group, supporting them uh, through the walk. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, this group was um, established by uh, Gita uh, Ramachandran and Rati. Uh, and uh, as a group of um, asylum seekers, uh, decided that um, it's been 11 years uh, and we've been silently waiting for the government to take some action. And uh, we strongly believe that uh, the change of uh, party would would 
give us some sort of solution. But we've been waiting um, it's, uh, for over one year of the party in power, and we haven't received any solution from this government. So uh, we decided that uh, we need to create some sort of awareness uh, to the uh, people of Australia, as well as the government, that, we, that there are 10,000 people who are left in limbo uh, by um, you know by both the parties. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a really commendable effort from everybody. And then the fact that it's already, you know, day 14, um, that's an incredible effort. And I wanted to, could you talk about the government's failure to grant permanent protection visas and how this shows up every day? My younger son is 12 and my younger daughter is uh, 8 years old. I have been in Australia for, for 11 years and throughout all this time, I was labelled as asylum seeker, but we are uh, genuine refugee. We are working for freedom for 10,000 people who are left behind. It's uh, it's um, effectful in my uh, my son' education. He is this year he is uh, the VCE exam, but uh, not uh, get a chance for uh, the uni university. Because the breathing visa, the breathing visa conditions not allowed to go university. Uh, his ambition for architect, but it's not get any chance from get a um, uh, university. A student don't have access to HEC support for universities, which uh, destroys their future career goals and ambitions. All of the students within 10,000 lives are represented by a question mark. Bachelors who came to Australia in their late 20s will uh, will now be turning 40. Yep, and it's such a awful story that is so easily remedied with so many people who are continuously you know, on bridging visas, they are permanently temporary um, and having no HEC support, no support for people who genuinely want to make a difference um, and be a part of the community and have already been part of the community. This is our community. Um, and being in a constant state of limbo is not, it's not okay. Um, and I think finally, I know that you have been doing this walk from Melbourne to Canberra. It's a huge decision for a group of refugees. What are your demands for the walk? What What are you hoping to achieve and raise awareness yes. about the walk? Yeah, permanent visa for all refugees left to be uh, left in limbo for a educated work and save uh, work and study rights for all refugees. The abolition of the unfair fast track system and the IWA permanent settlement in Australia for all refugees evacuated from Nauru and Papua New Guinea. And when it comes to, you know, what you're hoping to achieve after the walk, you've said a few things. You want permanent protection. Um, you want, you know, the minister to really ch make a change. Um, when you're going through this walk, you've already done about like 14 days of it right now. What has it been like to kind of be on the road, be with community and really talk talk through your heart? So 
after this 14 days being um, very difficult for a lot of um, people, we have um, uh, the oldest woman is 52 years old and the youngest is 19 years old. Um, this this is the first time these women have, uh, you know, taken such a, um, um, big decisions and uh, most of them are injured. We have um, uh, people with diabetics and other conditions who couldn't walk and they, um, they actually have uh, injuries uh, all over their legs. Um, so... It's been very difficult, and um, we get uh, supports from uh, people uh, honking uh, uh, and, um, you know, so giving us encouragement. And we also see, see people who, are, uh, you know, um, saying, uh, "Go back to your country." So there's two kind of uh, situation, like you know, circumstances yep. we we we're going through. But um, people are, um, even though they are injured, then uh, lots of them, are, you know, couldn't start get up today uh, for work. But we are start starting today uh, uh, after this uh, interview um, 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 to um, uh, for another 25 kilometers today. So it is um, uh, um, people, whatever comes in, people doesn't want it to stop. They want it to continue to fight for yeah. all the 10,000 refugees. That was Gita Ramachandra, Razila Raid Rahmati and Lavanya Thavaraja speaking on day 14 of the Women's Refugee March to Parliament that commenced on the 22nd of September. It took the women 27 days in total to complete the walk, where they were greeted with fellow protesters at Parliament House. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. Next up on the show, Naab Wee from the Mobilisation of Reproductive Justice in New York City. Uh, my name is Nabui. I use she, her pronouns. I'm based out in New York City in the United States, and I am a member of the Freedom Socialist Party and our sister organization, Radical Women. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for making the time to speak to me. I wanted to start um, by reflecting on one of the what I think is probably the biggest constitutional um, change in the United States that we've seen over the last 18 months, and that was in June 2022, the US Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the landmark piece of legislation that made access to an abortion a constitutional right in the US. Tell me what's happened some 18 months on from this decision. You can take a quick look through any major U.S. news outlet and see that there are people being thrown in prison for seeking an abortion, abortion bans that are starting at earlier and earlier times in pregnancy, and attempts to ban one of the abortion pills. There's also been referendums on various state ballots, and it's showing that the majority of U.S. voters want reproductive rights. I organize with the National Mobilization for Reproductive Ju- Reproductive Justice, which was initiated by Radical Women. We are working with and seeking out those who want to fight back, not just for abortion rights, that's that's the bare minimum, but for other demands too, like an end to forced sterilization, defending queer and trans families, and sexual self-determination for disabled people. You can check out our full list of demands at reprojusticenow.org. We've marched, rallied, spoken out, called press conferences in the past two plus years since before Roe fell. I understand that not necessarily every state in the country has wound back abortion laws. Um, it, I would assume the trend is that more conservative states have done that. Is it still possible to get an abortion in the US at the moment? 
Yeah, there are just like you said, there are certain states that still allow for it. And then there are states that are like, nope, you basically can't have an abortion. If you try to cross state lines, you we will find a way to criminalize you. Um, but there's I know that there's a case out of Texas right now where someone had an unviable pregnancy and couldn't access abortion because of the, the bans happening there. So that's getting a lot of national attention. So it's been a lot of like states rights that are happening right now. And we know that women of colour, poor women, migrants, those with low education, and you mentioned um, some other groups of women, women with disabilities, are likely to be disproportionately impacted by this change. Um, That's what the analysis was as the decision was going through. Has this been borne out in reality? I I definitely think so. I mean, this was born out in reality, even when abortion was supposedly legal across the U.S. The Hyde Amendment, which was passed shortly after Roe, effectively blocked federal funding for abortion care to people on Medicaid. So that's that's folks who are often poor or working class and don't have access to other kinds of health insurance. Um, It also blocked federal funding to uh, abortion care for undocumented immigrants, to Native American reservations, to military bases and anywhere where there was any kind of federal funding. Um, And as a result of the loss of this federal funding, there have been increases in forced sterilization in the past, also affecting the very people who are most exploited and oppressed, like all the people that you had mentioned, even even more. Um, So I don't think it's a stretch of an imagination to see that that will continue to happen. It may be worse in some ways than now that abortion is not legal across across federally. Um, But I also don't think it's like, a stretch to say that rich people and others in power will continue to be able to access abortion while everyone else's lives are literally at stake. Uh, the forced sterilization for me is a little bit anathema to the rhetoric of pro-life that a lot of anti-abortionists mm-hmm. use to defend their argument. How do these two seemingly contradictory ideas sit together in relation to the reproductive freedoms debate? I think it's because ultimately this is this isn't about life, right? It isn't about babies' lives or fetal life. It's about control. And so for sterilization means like who are the undesirable, quote unquote undesirables, like um disabled folks who have been forced uh sterilized without their consent, or people who are incarcerated who were also sterilized without their consent happening like as recently as the last decade or so. So, um, yeah, it really isn't about life. It's about control. Now, it was often said, and this is pre the um, the overturning of the decision, that trans people and the LGBTIQ community would be disproportionately affected. Uh, and a lot of the, I mean, there are there's a, a lot of reproductive technologies that assist LGBTIQ communities, but in relation to abortion specifically, I guess there are a lot of people wondering how does this affect trans and LGBTIQ people. Mm-hmm. So I that makes me think of the the trans folks and the LGBTQ plus folks who who have the capacity to become pregnant. Um, but then I also think about like other reproductive uh, related care that they would need too. So that's that's one area. But then. I think if we look at the attacks on trans people and other LGBTQ plus people right now, these also intensified around the same time as the U.S. Supreme Court was taking on the Roe v. Wade case. Um, one one example I'm thinking about, like with the LGBTQ plus community, is that 
there's a lot of talk about book banning that's happening across the country. And what I've learned is that often one or two parents, and I'm sure they have right-wing affiliations, can go to their school boards and demand a ban just because there may be an LGBTQ plus character or theme within the book. Uh, the school boards just cave into this pressure despite the fact that the majority of parents are not calling for this. And all of these attacks are because of the crisis of capitalism. This heterosexual nuclear family is put on this pedestal and women's unpaid labor in the home is exploited and unrecognized, reinforcing patriarchy. So all, all very interconnected. Yeah, and what you're talking about there is this um, broader alt-right context, which is what I want to talk about. So although overturning Roe v. Wade was a very specific attack on reproductive rights for those that can bear children, it mm. does sit in this massive um, right-wing, Christian right, alt-right movement mm -hmm. in the United States. Can you talk a little bit about that broader context and then uh, we'll, we'll look at Donald Trump and his election campaign? I, I think to add to what you said in terms of the context, it's what I also said in the last response is that the context is the crisis of capitalism, right? That means the ruling class, you can say the capitalists, you can say the the politicians who are in the capitalist pockets, they need more control so that they can keep the profits up. So that means attacks against women, that means attacks against trans folks, that means attacks against disabled folks, it attacks to anyone who they can continue to exploit the hell out of. Um, and I, I wanted to speak to the Freedom Socialist Party and Radical Women a bit in our history. We're the oldest socialist feminist organizations in the U.S. And since our beginnings in the mid-60s, our program have always been multi-issue and we fight for the most exploited and oppressed because we know that there is this common enemy of, of capitalism. That's also why we talk about the need for reproductive justice and not just the right to abortion, which includes the people who are also under attack by the alt-right right now. What does this actually look like in the US? I mean, I completely appreciate and thank you for providing the political context. It's important and necessary. But every day, what is what is the experience of living in the United States in relation to pressures on the ground or, um, you know, experiencing racial or other vilification and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it varies depending on the person, the the resources they have, the supports that they have. Uh, but I think there's a general sense of fear that's growing and anxiety that's growing. And I, also the context of the pandemic that we're still not fully quite out of, right? That there's all these different things that have happened that really have shown people that our lives are pretty precarious right now. Inflation is so high, uh, wages are kept on pushed down. So I think there is a lot of like fear and, and intense reactions. And that also means often isolation when really what we need to do is come together and, and be able to fight back and recognize that like it's not us as individuals, it's not each other. It's that we have a common enemy, that this profit motive and the system doesn't care about us. And as a political activist who part of your work, no doubt, is uh, talking to people and trying to convince people of a, a different project, a socialist project, what's your experience talking to ordinary folks in this um, wash of misinformation and right-wing ideology? Are you finding that some left-wing ideas can take hold? 
I think so. There's been more in the news that shows like polls of people who are open to the ideas of socialism, um, who are like, this isn't working, like this hasn't been working for a long time, but we see it very plainly, very clearly these days. And then I think too about what's happening in terms of Palestine right now, the genocide against Palestinians. And like whenever there's been surveys about the the people who come out fighting for Palestinians, calling to the attention of like ending the genocide, ending Israeli bombing. Often those people are like, we don't know about voting for the Democrats anymore. So people need an alternative. And I think fighting for a socialist society is that alternative that really is for all people and not just not just for this this rich minority of people. And of course, all of this is happening, as I mentioned earlier, in the context of a federal election campaign, Mm -hmm. which I think is scheduled for next year. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really does look like Donald Trump has the lead in this race, even though he's still got to win the Republican nomination. But I I think Mm -hmm. that's a shoe in what is the analysis over there about the prospect of Donald Trump re-winning the election? I if, if we look at like mainstream media, corporate media, oftentimes they'll, you know, Trump's on all day because he brings in eyes, he brings in attention, he brings in the ad revenue and things like that. So I think if you look that way, it looks like, oh yeah, he's a shoe in therefore this is happening and blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to dismiss the the real fear that many in this country have about Donald Trump getting into office again, because he, with him in office, he helped embolden the the right wing more. Um, a lot of what we see in terms of like outright hostilities, it's always been there, but it's like even more confident in being able to express that them expressing that like has happened under Trump. But also like, I think about like the right wing didn't go away just because Biden got elected into office. And so my view outside of like, is Trump going to be in office is thinking like, we can't, we can't leave it up to the Democrats or Republicans to fight for the needs of working class and poor people. And no matter who's in office every day, people need to be the ones who fight for our own rights. All of these attacks on women, queer and trans people happened under the watch of the Democrats in office. We, we lost Roe under Biden, right? And in New York City, I wanted to share that the Mobilization for Reproductive Justice, we're organizing a labor forum, bringing together workers, both unionized and non-unionized, to talk about concrete strategies and collective action for reproductive justice. Workers have the power to shut the country down here and everywhere. We are the strongest force to push back the right wing and the politicians that are only interested in piecemeal reforms. Do you want Mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about the work, the broader work that you do around reproductive freedoms? Yeah. So... uh, the full name is National Mobilization for Reproductive Justice, and it was initiated by Radical Women back in 2021. And at the time, it was like, we know it's going to be a mass, like it requires a mass movement to really fight for not just abortion rights, but for all these other important demands that center the most op- uh, oppressed and exploited among us. And so we started organizing back in 2021, tried to tried to find other groups and other people to work with, tried to build a united front that was like really led by working class folks to to fight. And um, we're still here two, two and a half years later, still calling for a mass movement, still recognizing that like the fight for reproductive justice and freedoms really has to include everybody, um, the 
the demands and the needs of the most most oppressed and exploited. And you're going to be visiting Australia in January. Tell us what you're going to be up to here. So I, I'm really looking forward to just spending time and getting to know my fellow comrades in Australia. Uh, the last time I got to see them was at our convention back in December. And she's like, one day I'm going to go out there. And then all of a sudden it was like several months later, I'm coming out there. I'm going to be there. Um, I'm also, so I'm looking forward to getting to know Melbourne through their perspective as radicals fighting for a better world. I also am looking forward to potentially visiting the, I hope I'm not mispronouncing this, but the Koori Heritage Trust. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to those things. So it's mostly a social visit with some politics chucked in? I'm glad you said that because I'll also be giving a talk at a special meeting of the Freedom Socialist Party and it'll be on the, the work that I've been doing with the National Mobilization for Reproductive Justice and also kind of giving that context that you you touched on here. That was Nabwi from the Mobilisation for Reproductive Justice in New York City. If you're based in Melbourne and you'd like to get along and hear Na speak further on this topic, the details are Saturday the 6th of January at 4pm at the Thorn Harbour Health which is 200 Hoddle Street in Abbotsford in Melbourne, Victoria. Contact rw.aus at radicalwomen.org for further information. And just a comment on the ongoing war on Palestine. Rallies and demonstrations will continue throughout the holiday period, so please look out for rally details and solidarity activities in your local cities. Now is the time to show our governments that the people stand with Palestine and that they need to as well. And that's all we've got time for today. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kanjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.